the Gulf Coast a lot. And uh, I love your community. I love Ron and Susan and the joy we have had increasingly to come alive to the only love that's better than life. Uh, you will hear one reoccurring frame from me all weekend long tonight, tomorrow morning, and Sunday morning when I have the joy of preaching. And that theme will be, there's nothing more than the gospel. There is just more of the gospel. And as our particular theme uh, this weekend focuses on what does the Bible actually say about our future? What does the Bible actually have to say about heaven? That is a gospel theme. Because the gospel in essence is everything our Heavenly Father has done for us in and through the work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's this wonderful giant box of eternal goodness that we get to explore together. It's why the Apostle Paul talked about the gospel in terms of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That language itself is somewhat paradoxical. He's inviting us to search something that he says is unsearchable. And by that, Paul means it simply there's so much there. That the more we really read the Bible, the more we begin to understand everything God has planned for us and secured for us through the person and the work of Jesus, we get increasingly overwhelmed. Uh, we are filled with what the Bible calls hope. And hope, as we talk about heaven, will function something like this. The purpose of hope is to come alive to the future of our inheritance that it might more fully impact how we live right now. And that's why the theme of this weekend is living and loving like heaven is a real place. And uh, we're going to do that by primarily looking at the very last vision in the Bible. And uh, that's why, as Ron said, it's going to be very important for you to have notes in front of you. Um, if, if you don't have a set now, we have a dear brother in the back. You could raise your hand and he would bring you notes. Does anyone not have notes that we can make sure all of you can put your eyes on this sheet? And you'll see why in just a moment. Um, in, in your notes, uh, there are a couple of pictures, which I'll explain in a moment. But there is uh, printed for you the primary text of our weekend Bible conference, this last vision in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 through chapter 22, verse 6. Now, my goal will be tonight and tomorrow morning to cram as much hope as is possible in one Bible conference so that we might think through together um, how can we live together as a church for the good of Panama City and the nations of the world? How does this wonderful vision of the life that we will enjoy forever when Jesus returns to finish his work, how is it meant to orient us towards our pain, our suffering, towards the brokenness of the world? That's why Ron mentioned that when he first heard me talk about the painting that is in your uh, in the left corner of your handout, uh, when I started explaining in that Bible conference, that missions conference where Ron was, we saw how Hope more so than anything else, God's story more clearly than anything else, will change the price tags in our life. Uh, living and loving to God's glory. Uh, 
living as a character in God's story and a carrier of God's story becomes something we're really excited about. We, we learn to stop giving God bit parts in our story and we find our place in his story. So here's what we're going to do in our opening talk. Uh, I'm going to very briefly read actually from Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 18 and then I'm going to introduce you for our first session tonight to this painting there in the lower left-hand corner of your notes. And you see that it's titled God's Story, the fourfold plot line running from Genesis to Revelation. But allow me to pray very briefly once again because the things we are going to be studying tonight and tomorrow morning quite literally can bring joy and peace and a centering to your life for the rest of the days that we enjoy in this world. So I take this very seriously. I take it with a lot of joy. So let me pray again. Father, thank you so much for this marvelous congregation and for the privilege we have now to listen to you speak to us through your word. Uh, Lord, I trust you to help me to be clear. I pray, Lord, that even as I will get excited about these matters that you will help me to preach and teach at the pace of grace. I don't want to talk faster and faster and faster, even though, Lord, nothing is more liberating or encouraging to me than the study that we will be about this weekend. So, Lord, center my heart. Help me to love these, your sons and daughters, well. Lord, I pray as well for any who might be in our conference this weekend that might be just beginning to explore your story. Lord, I thank you that your welcoming heart is extended to the uh, oldest uh, Christian in the room who has walked the longest with Jesus, or for some of us that might just be in that looking over the fence mode at what is this gospel? What is this story? What's unique about Christianity? What is compelling about the love of God? What is true about heaven? Lord, come help us now, I pray. Free us uh, fill us with hope, truly, that we might live and love to your glory. We pray in Christ's name together. Amen. Well, why study heaven? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now what, what do I love about that passage? And how does that passage encourage us to think about heaven, not just this weekend, but really almost every day of our lives? Well, Paul is giving us a little 
mathematics, mathematics class early on in this passage in Romans 8. He says, as I calculate life in this broken world that has a lot of suffering, I begin to put these two ledgers together. I look at sufferings in the present world, and remember with me the world that Paul lived in was the Roman world in which uh, Nero was the emperor and before long Domitian would be. Uh, Paul lived in a crazy world. Paul lived in a time when to be a follower of Christ would have been overwhelmingly difficult. And so Paul acknowledges that followers of Christ do suffer. We suffer inwardly. We suffer in the world into which the Lord has sent us. But notice what he says. When I consider my neighborhood, my world, when I look at what seems to be at times where evil is going to win the day, this is what I remember. The glory that will be revealed in us when Jesus comes back to finish his work, these two ledgers look tremendously different. In fact, uh, the future, the fullness of heaven, is so much more grand than anything we could ever hope or imagine. It gives me power to stay present. It frees me to be a good neighbor. It helps me to do my ministry as an apostle of Jesus, to plant churches, to encourage other followers of Christ to know that uh, the end of our story is so compelling, so good, so overwhelming. Let's be a people that show up to live and to love to God's glory. And you'll notice with me as we read those words in Romans 8, Paul's using... Uh, a wonderful theme, the theme of being pregnant. Now, I have never been pregnant, but I'm married to a woman that was pregnant twice. And here Paul uses this language describing what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, in essence, he says, along with the whole of creation, we ourselves as well are groaning inwardly and waiting eagerly for the fullness, the adoption of the children of God. This text really came home to me when we uh, when my wife gave birth to our first child, we have two adult children, as Ron mentioned. We have daughter Kristen and our son Scott. And uh, when Darlene gave birth to Kristen, we were in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that's where this accent comes from, that area, uh, middle part of North Carolina. And this was before uh, uh, women had the choice of having an epidural for the delivery of their child. And so our first child was in posterior position. Men, don't worry about it. Ask your wives later what that means. But uh, Kristen was not going to come into this world very easily. So my wife had a 26-hour hard labor. And, uh, and, and, and in that moment, you know, not in that moment, but later reading this text, I began to understand why Paul used the image of childbirth to say, here's what it means to be the body of Christ. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, that that God has begun a good work in us that at times is very painful. God has begun a good work in this world that sometimes seems like it's too much, it's too overwhelming, there's so much pain. But as Paul writes, he says in God's story, there are no stillbirths, there are no miscarriages. Every follower of Jesus one day will be as lovely as and as loving as Jesus. And one day because God is committed to his world, one day the very world that he created and called good, one day it will be made new. And that's why Paul says, such a hope gives us encouragement to keep showing up, to love our neighbors, to invest in missions, 
to be a people that encourage one another and all the more in light of that great day. Well, before in our second session we start looking at what the Bible says our future is all about, I do want to use the rest of this opening session just to talk about the one big story that connects the entire Bible. Because you see, to understand what the Bible has to say to us about heaven, we need to see the whole story. Heaven presupposes that God one day is going to right every wrong and put everything the way it was meant to be. Well, in order to understand the beauty of the future, we really need to see the beauty of the past. And that's why I would invite you now not to look at me so much as that little painting in the lower left corner. And let me tell you what this painting is all about. And in these next 20 minutes or so, we're going to kind of walk through God's story. Then we'll take a break and move into our first uh, marinating in this great vision that the Bible concludes with. Now this painting, as you see, it's called God's Story. There are four panels, and you'll notice on your outline, there are the predominant theme in each one of these four panels is a tree. I'll give you a little background about this painting. Uh, this painting was born out of my life as a pastor in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. When we first planted Christ Community Church back in 1986, we had a great love for the grace of God, and we were preaching grace, and we had all these amazing musicians coming into our community, creating an incredible worship culture. And the more we were studying the grace of God, the more we began to realize the Bible's telling a much bigger story than a lot of us had ever understood growing up in our Sunday schools or growing up in our churches. And so the more we studied the whole Bible from beginning to end, the more we began to realize that, that the Bible, though written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, it really is connected. That if you read the Bible the way God tells his story from the first book of the Bible through the end of the Bible, you will see a sequential unfolding of a great story. And as we as a congregation studied the Bible and began to see that Jesus is the only hero in the entire Bible, as the, we began to see the unfolding of God's promises and the fulfillment of all of his promises in the Bible, focusing on Jesus, this, this painting emerged. I never will forget the day I met with one of our visual artists in our church, a great painter that has a wonderful studio outside of Franklin, Tennessee, where I live, a little area called Leaper's Fork. This painter's named David Arms. And I said to David, who was a member of our church, I said, David, I want you to create a painting that we will hang in our worship center. I want it to be big, but I want it to tell God's story so every time we get together to have a worship service, we will remember the whole story of God through this fourfold plot line of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Once again, those four words, as you see, are under each of the four panels uh, in, your, uh, in your notes tonight. All I had was a little napkin at one of the Starbucks in Nashville, Tennessee. I had these four little trees, and I had in my mind what that painting was going to look like. And I simply commissioned David, this great artist, and said, David, create that painting that will help us understand that, that, uh, that God's story begins with perfection and beauty. That really to read Genesis 1 and 2 appropriately is to begin to understand, oh my goodness, our, our God is so much more 
generous and good and beautiful, the life he intended for us before anything got broken, it needs to be studied. It needs to be remembered. And that would be the first panel. The second panel said, David, you need to, in this painting, make real clear what happened when sin and death entered God's story. And, and that's why that second tree, which we'll talk about in a minute, you'll see is much lower on the horizon. These four trees tell a story even the way they are positioned upon the painting. But that, that second panel is meant to indicate here is how grave the condition of humanity is. Here's how broken the world is because sin and death wrecked God's creation. The third panel, I said to David, again, in that little Starbucks with my four little stick trees, I said, we need in that third panel somehow to begin to tell the story of the gospel. What has God committed to do in light of his love for his creatures and creation, but in full view of how broken everything is? So David, tell the story of Jesus in the third panel. But then I told him, and this is when I really got excited, and this is the theme of this week, and I said, in the fourth panel, David, I want you to try to capture the vision of Revelation 21, 1 through 22, 6 to show us that really to read the Bible appropriately will understand our, our calling is not to try to get back to the Garden of Eden, but to understand that the Garden of Eden was the beginning of the story, the preview of coming attractions, that actually the end of God's story is so much better than the beginning. And that because of Jesus' perfect work, there has been guaranteed the ending to a story that to see it, to smell it, to hear it, to believe it is our freedom, is our hope. And thus, when I walked into his studio after seven months of his working on this painting, I was just undone to begin to realize the beauty of God's story and the gift it would be for our congregation to gather as a wonderful church, just like your church is a wonderful church, to see the whole of God's story and to remember God's story together. Well, let, let me be a little bit more specific with that story and how it connects us to the theme of heaven tonight and tomorrow morning. Look with me at each of the four panels. Let me highlight some of the imagery because, you know, to, to, to study the whole Bible, to see how it anticipates the future, the eternity that is freely ours through the work of Jesus. It moves our heart to worship the living God. So these four trees, they are, though you cannot see in your notes, each of the four trees has a name. There's a little white tag at the bottom of each of the panel, and I'm not talking right now about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, but the little white tag. The first tree and the fourth tree are the tree of life. It's fascinating to see that the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible highlight the same tree. And that's a part of God's architecture for the whole Bible. In fact, think about this for a moment. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this statistic before, but there are 1,169 chapters in the whole Bible. You take any standard translation of the Bible, go through the books and count the chapters, uh, in, in any Bible, there are 1,169 chapters. Only four of those chapters show us life as it was meant to be, the first two and the last two. It's like we're given these redemptive bookends. Genesis 1 and 2 show us this is the world the way God made it. This is what he made us for. This is how God intends for us to know him. 
And then the last two chapters show us, and here through the work of Christ, is how God has done everything necessary to secure the fullness of all these promises that unfold through the rest of the Bible. So we have the tree of life in the first panel under creation, the tree of life in the fourth panel telling us about this is the fullness of heaven. The other two trees, the second tree, second panel, that's the tree of loss, reminding us, here's how broken everything is. The third tree is the tree of love. Now, that's not a little white cross painted on that tree. It's actually David Arms, the artist's way of saying, uh, that tree stands for the whole of the work of Jesus. So here's the way this unfolds, and I hope these, even these opening words will, will encourage your heart greatly. Look at the first panel with me. Why should we think about creation? Why should we think more about the first two chapters of the Bible than we generally do? Well, because to talk about redemption, to talk about renewal, presupposes we have some kind of idea about truly what does the Bible say about what God made us for? What was it like for Adam and Eve when God in the eternity of his joy and passion and delight decided to create a world. What can we find in Genesis 1 and 2 that would tap into deep longings in our heart and would say, that explains why I'm so restless. That explains why I'm always wanting something different than what I have. What did God really make me for? What does it mean for all of us to be made in the image of God? Well, in Genesis 1 and 2, we find the tree of life standing tall. And in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life stood for this bold affirmation that all life comes from God. And though we do not have the time and the brevity of our Bible conference, let's just remember a few of the things that the Bible actually says was true for Adam and Eve before sin and death broke anything. Um, one of my favorite verses that really summarizes the perfection of life for Adam and Eve is in the second chapter of Genesis, verse 25, when the Bible says, Adam and his wife were naked and felt no shame. I remember as a young believer back in 1968 when I first heard that verse, I had a different understanding of what that meant. But here's what I want you to understand. Genesis 2.25 is really saying to say that the first man and the first woman uh, felt no shame. They felt no shame, not, not in, in terms of each other's presence. And it's a good thing to know that God has given us good gifts as husbands and wives to enjoy of intimacy. But the bold affirmation of Genesis 2.25 is this. Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, were utterly naked before the gaze of God, and they never felt more at home anywhere in the universe. Can you imagine tonight what it would mean in your heart for you not just to be theologically convinced, but for your heart of hearts to know that the very God that made you loves you wants you, welcomes you, delights in you. Can you imagine a shame-free existence? In the Bible, shame as a category always has, always has to do with being seen. When you, when you sense you're being looked at and you're feeling vulnerable, what's your temptation to do? You want, you want to break the gaze, right? You don't want to make eye contact with someone you think that has the power to harm you, to shame you, to guilt you, Right? Think about this. Your first mom, your first dad, this is what life was like in a garden paradise. Again, as the Bible talks about Eden, 
Everything was perfect. Nothing was broken. Relationship with everything was absolutely spot on wonderful. wonderful. But the most important thing was this. Adam and Eve knew their heavenly father to be someone that they could trust, they could love because they were, they, he gazed upon them and they felt nothing but welcome. Let me ask you tonight at the beginning of our Bible comments. Here's a very valid question. You don't have to write out your answer, but think about it. What do you think God thinks about you tonight and what can you do about it? Good. I didn't actually expect a real response, but that's awesome. But you see, many, many times, Christians, good, good men and women like yourselves, we sing our hymns, we, we grow up reading the Bible, and yet when we really press in on our hearts and begin to look at a question like that, what does God think about me right now? Well, we might think something like this. Well, I, I think he's pretty, pretty proud of me this week because I've had six good devotional mornings, good quiet times, uh, put my check in at time, Oh, to the church, you know, I took the casserole to the elderly lady up the street. He's probably thinking of me pretty well right now. Or if you're having what we would call a less than really redemptive week, you might think, oh, he's probably wants to put me in the doghouse, you know. I'm sure God could not be very happy with me right now. And we just show how little we understand the way God relates to us through his son Jesus. Now let me say this now because I'm going to say it again several times this weekend. If you are someone that has simply placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You've received the free gift of eternal life. Someone that has come to some point in your life where you acknowledge God is a good God. He made you for himself. And yet through your sin and brokenness, you know there's distance and there's brokenness in your life. But you, you have been convinced that Jesus is the Savior that came for you and has died for you and has been raised for you. If that's true in your heart, let me tell you tonight, you do not have to be in doubt about what God thinks about you. If you are a follower of Christ, God loves you tonight as much as he will ever, 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 ever love you. And there's nothing you can do about it but enjoy it. You cannot add to his love for you. You cannot take from his love for you. And that's not because you're deserving anything. It is because God is so generous now, that's connected to how we think about heaven. Let's move quickly into the next panel. Again, I'm looking at myself thinking, oh, I wish we had three weeks together, all right? But we have two sessions and a Sunday morning, so let's slow down here and breathe in hope and grace together. God's story starts with showing us there was a heavenly existence. There was a wonderful existence that we were made for. And because you're made in the image of God, you have those longings for a perfect world in your heart. There's not a person in this room, a follower of Christ, or someone that isn't sure they believe anything. Every one of us have in common that we're made in the image of God, and we all want the world described in Genesis 1 and 2. But the second panel does remind us everything got broken. Um, the very fact that David Arms appropriately painted this picture with a real ashen gray, it reminds us that the way the Bible tells its story, that, that when Adam and Eve rebelled and set in motion this tragic disconnect and world of decay, that, that it's not just the fact that we became distanced from God, but that every sphere of God's good creation got diseased. 
And that's one of the ways this second panel kind of adequately shows us, okay, here's what the Bible really means when it says that we are broken or the world we're broken. Uh, The world of which we are part uh, in every aspect of our being, the way we think, feel, the way we think about God, ourselves, other people, it's all been distorted. See, sin is distortion. Uh, Sin is treason. Sin is violation of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Sin contradicts the perfection of what of the world that God has created and called good and, and the, that which he said of his sons and daughters, that they are very good. So appreciate the fact that the, the artist David Arms helped our church understand as we looked at the whole painting, uh, this is how much we need Jesus. See, I grew up in a church in North Carolina where I never really understood the gravity of my condition. And though it was never said from the pulpit I grew up in, here's the message I got as a little guy going to church because I was made to go to church every week. I used to think of God as someone that was very, very uh, edgy, kind of like an older grandfather that you better sit real still in front of him or, or he, he might get agitated. So I would sit in a room like this one and uh, you know, I'd occasionally get pinched in the shoulder and be told not to squirm. And I'm thinking, okay, in God's house, you better sit real still because, you know, uh, if, if you're if you're squirming, God might get upset with you. Now, that wasn't the biggest image I had of God, but I tell you, this you know, what's what's true of my story may not be true of yours. But uh, in our church, we used to pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And as a little guy, you know, five, four or five years old, when we would come to that phrase, "Hallowed be your name." Right in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many of us, how many of us use the word hallowed in life? Right? So what did I hear as a little guy? Hollow. Hollow is your name. Now that was more true from my experience than I would discover later. I'd go to church. I would hear, okay, better be good. You know, do it right and God will love you. If you do it wrong, God's going to swat you. But I completely missed the gospel. And I missed the gospel because I did not understand my condition was so dire. Men and women, has this not been in our country in the last 18 months at least something that's underscored how broken everything is? Can I get a quiet Panama City amen? We, we, the world we live in, and I'm, I'm not making any political statement there. I think we know we live in a very, very broken world right now. And, 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 and the Bible is the most honest testimony about how dire is the condition that we share and what can we really hope? Can we really believe that things can be different? Well, that second panel reminds us our need is so great, God would need to be generous for us in order to meet the dire condition, not just of our individual hearts, but the world in which we live. That takes us to the third panel. And here's what I love about the third panel before we move on to the fourth panel. By the way, I will send to uh, Archbishop Ron Brown uh, my uh, PDF explaining all the symbols of the painting. So you're going to have some follow-ups. In fact, there's a free gift for all of you that attend this conference. I wrote a book years ago with one of our one of our founding members of Christ Community Church, a great musician named Michael Card. Michael and I did a book together and a record called Unveiled Hope. He he did a record called Unveiled Hope, great music from the book of Revelation. I wrote a book. You'll get that free. So even though I'm talking faster than I attended, you'll have some follow-up materials, okay, and you go into some of these things. But I get excited, especially when we think now of this third panel. This third panel is, is how the Bible 
would have us think about. So after God created this perfect world and everything got broken and, 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 and you see the brokenness, uh, the first man and his wife were, were naked before the gaze of God and felt no shame and then sin and death came in and even in their own marriage, they started blaming and shaming one another and hiding from God and covering up and then you see the unfolding of the story and so much brokenness. Well, we know God made a great promise to be a redeemer. And this third panel of this fourfold, four-panel painting uh, has a way of saying, this is, what, this is what God, who is rich in mercy, uh, is doing for us through the provision called the gospel of his grace. If you look in that third painting, there's a couple of images I will explain. You see butterflies to the left of the tree, which is the tree of love, and you see above the tree, an egg. Let me explain that. That little egg is not a, 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 a tipping of the hat to New Age imagery. Okay, this is a real biblical image. Let me explain. David Arm said, Here, here's, here's how I want this painting to breathe and bring encouragement to us as we think about grace, uh, even in view of the day when everything will be completely put right. He said, butterflies, and he reminded me as he first told me the painting, he said, Scotty, historically butterflies and art are a great theme of life out of death, right? We know that, you know. At some point in school, you did the story of the cocoon, and you see the marvelous transformation of life that, that dies a death that greater beauty can emerge. And so David Arm said, Scotty, in that third panel, as we think about as a church, thinking about the gospel, what do we want to highlight? The resurrection of Jesus. And how uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, who... Jesus' work upon the cross, dying for us, having lived for us, raised to newness of life uh, through his resurrection, there is the beginning of the process that will find its fulfillment in heaven. And he said, I want this painting to have several butterflies to remind us that uh, as soon as we become a Christian, as soon as we give our heart to Christ, respond to the free gift of eternal life, we're raised to newness of life. Now, we don't have the fullness of that life, but we have the beginning of that life. That's why, dear friends, I would encourage you to think about this third panel in, in the language of the already and not yet. Who are we right now as Christians? Right now as Christians, we are those who have already received eternal life. Amen? Right. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you trust Jesus to be your Savior. But the beginning of that life anticipates the future of that life, which we'll talk about in that fourth panel and then our Bible study after we uh, moving into the text of Scripture right after we have our, our first break. But this uh, third panel reminds us, here's who we are right now. We are as forgiven as we will ever be. In fact, let me say this tonight. Let me put this question out here. And I know it's Friday evening, and so some of us are very sleepy from a full week of work. But I want to say some things that will wake you up real fast. Let me ask you this. As a follower of Jesus, uh, how many of your sins are forgiven? What, what were you going to say? 37%? You know, Of course you're going to say, oh. That's right. Well, a lot of times, you know, we have the right answers, but you see the process of good biblical study is, let this land on my heart. Jesus has not just forgiven me the 4% of my sins I'm consciously aware of, but the 96% I probably am not even aware of. 
My need is so great, but his grace is so profound that if I am a follower of Christ, I'm already fully forgiven. I'm already uh, declared righteous in the sight of God. See, that's the good news of what this third panel would say, that, that God has so set his heart of love and affection upon those he freely saves that right now they are legally righteous and will never be separated from the love of God. So we are raised in newness of life already, but we are, and here's where the egg comes in, we, 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 are, uh, we are a people waiting for the completion of the story. And that's why I read Romans 8 and picked up on that theme of, 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 of pregnancy in Romans 8 that we groan inwardly and wait eagerly. Well, David Arms, when I again saw this painting for the first time, I said, David, what's with the egg? He said, well, Scotty, that's not just any egg. That's a fertilized egg. It reminds us that God is at work in his world. Things are not as they appear. Uh, God is at work. His promises are sure. He has committed through Jesus one day to put everything right. And our calling now is to believe that in our hearts, assured of the fact that we are adopted into the family of God. We are loved by our God. He loves us so fully, so richly. We should never look to any human being to fill us up, but only the knowledge of God is revealed to us in the gospel. And, and the longing that is within us will begin to stir up within us not only echoes from the past, which is Eden, and let me say this, in every heart in this room, there are the echoes of Eden. Again, you're not just a whiner complainer. You actually want some good stuff that God intended for you. But through sin and death, we sabotage those longings. And we try to meet those longings in wrong ways. But apart now, if you're a Christian, because you have the Spirit of God living in you, you're nostalgic for your true home. And, 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 and your true home focuses now on the fourth panel. So let me, lastly, before our, our break, look at the fourth panel. It seems kind of odd. Maybe the whole painting seems odd to you, but once you begin to hear the biblical passages explaining these things, I pray in your heart you'll begin to say, Oh, Lord, I've been thinking too lightly of heaven. I've been too thinking too lightly of the future. What do you see in the fourth panel? Well, first of all, notice with me, the tree in the fourth panel is higher on the horizon than any of the other trees, right? Look at that. You see how it's higher up? Also notice this. Uh, your, Ron did not misprint the painting on this um, handout. Part of the tree is not on the campus, right? You, you see maybe, maybe I don't know, 15% or so of the, of the leaves of that fourth tree, you're, seeing, you're thinking, wait, wait a minute. He didn't really exactly measure very well as an artist some of the trees cut off. It was almost laughable the moment I went into David's studio and I saw the painting for the first time and I kind of politely said to myself, dude, you're a great painter, but you don't measure very well. So I got up my nerve and I said, David, um, where's the rest of the tree? He said, Scotty, are you kidding me? Do you really think I can contain on one panel the fullness of everything that God has promised for us? He says, of course it's off the chart, literally. So this fourth panel with these three birds and all these pieces of fruit, as we will see tonight and tomorrow morning, here's kind of the summary statement. Number one, the future of God's story, the future of heaven is so much better than the beginning of God's story. And this is what Paul means when he says, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor thought even entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, 
however great and noble and correct your thoughts are already about heaven. You know who you really are tonight with me? We are children at the base of the Swiss Alps wearing flip-flops with a little sand bucket and a teaspoon trying to take in glory. The more we see and understand everything that is our inheritance, what our future will be like, it is not just a game changer. It is an everything changer. A couple of images and we'll take our first break. What's with these three birds? You noticed in the first panel, there's just one bird. Here's what David, and, and David Arms Art, he loves birds. So as a way of, of, of symbolically representing the beauty of life in the Garden of Eden, David painted three chickadees. And he said, I love the chickadees, Scott. It's just a, it's just a beautiful songbird. It shows up in the spring. You, you love chickadees. They're sweet. They're gentle. You're, you're intrigued with them. But when you go to the fourth panel, he's got three birds that would never, ever, ever flock together in this world. Three birds that would never show up at the same bird feeder. And I wish I could remember right now each of these three birds. But the point is this. He says, Scotty, here's what, I, here's what I want our church to understand. We're in a story that guarantees that one day there will be a family in the fullness of heaven from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group. We, God has set in motion a story of redemption that's so big, it's not the story God bless us for and no more. It's a story that guarantees there will be in the family of God one day men and women from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group. And each one of them will be glorified, completely set free, healed, and whole. And there will only be forever perfect relationships with everybody. Can you even begin to imagine what it would be like, what it will be like in eternity for you to be completely knowing and enjoying of everybody in the family? A lot of us in life would settle for one really, 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 really good relationship. Through the work of Jesus, we are guaranteed one day to live in a perfect society where we know everyone, enjoy everyone. You'll never be irritated again, and you'll never irritate anyone. You will be fully alive. We will see Jesus as he is, and we will be made like him. What this painting was saying, we will, we will be the reconciled family of God taken throughout history. Last image, and I will pray briefly, and we'll take our 12 to 15-minute break. What's with all these fruits? This is another wonderful image, which we will see in the text of uh, Revelation 21 uh, just in a few moments. David reminded me that uh, in Revelation 21, there's this image as, 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 as uh, John the Apostle begins to see the new heaven and new earth, which is the fullness of heaven, which I'll explain that in a few moments. He said, Scotty, look at the tree of life. Look at this passage. It says, and in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and new earth, the tree of life is going to stand tall and, and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And on that tree, a new fruit will be offered every month. Now, probably to some extent that's a glorious metaphor, but what does the metaphor mean? Dear ones, as we'll see, our future is a life of not only perfect relationships, but living in the world that God created. As surely as your body is going to be raised and glorified, so the world that God has created is going to be utterly transformed. 
And by his generosity, there will be eternal feasting forever. We will enjoy one another. We will, we will, uh, well, I think it's fair to say our future will be the Garden of Eden on steroids, if you can connect with that image. That every good and wonderful thing you enjoyed about life as it was described in the Garden of Eden will be ours maximized. And never again will there be the possibility of brokenness and sin and death entering in. There, is, there are so many images our Father wants to fill our hearts full of tonight and tomorrow morning. Let me pray for us now. We'll take our break. And uh, it's 10 minutes till. Ron, what should we go to about two minutes after or straight up at 8 o'clock? What would be good? Two minutes after, all right. Quick prayer, and then we've got two minutes after 8. We'll come back in, and we're going to jump right into the text. Father, thank you for my precious friends, Lord. Um, who is sufficient to talk about the beauty of the gospel? Who is sufficient to unpack all these wonderful gifts? Lord, uh, I just rely upon you, Lord, to help me to encourage these whom you cherish through your very word. Lord, thank you for your story. Thank you for creation. Lord, we grieve the fall, but we bless you for redemption through Jesus. And Lord, thank you for restoration that one day you will bring to completion your work in us and in your world. And together we cry out, hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.